the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think. Hello and welcome to Behind the Headlines. I'm Neil Bradley, my co-host as usual, Joe Quinn. Uh, yeah, hi there. It's, uh, I just want to say, uh, uh, by popular demand, we have to say what the date is. Today is the 13th of December, 2015. That's correct. Uh, apologies to anyone who missed out on uh, last week. We had no show and we had announced it, but not everyone got the message. If you want to keep updated with us, you've got to be following our website, our forum, or you can just um, like us our, on our Stop Radio Facebook page, and we keep everyone up to date there. So anyway, we're back this week, and we've got a great show lined up with uh, two of our favorite guests, I think we can say. Mm-hmm. We've had them on before. They are James and Joanne Moriarty, who we had on some six months ago. James and Joanne are a couple from Texas who witnessed firsthand the so-called Libyan Revolution in 2011. Invited by an international NGO to participate in a fact-finding mission, the Moriarty's traveled throughout Libya during NATO's massive bombardment of our country in 2011. They observed and documented events and personally witnessed unspeakable atrocities there. After barely escaping with their lives when the so-called Libyan rebels placed them on a kill list, the Moriarty's finally made it back to the U.S., with bodies and evidence intact, only to discover that the troubles had barely begun. If you haven't yet listened to their story in that first interview, do check it out. It's archived here on our Blog Talk Radio page. You can also find all past shows by selecting the SOT Radio category on our website, SOT.net, S-O-T-T.net. The Moriarty's have a website, LibyanWarTheTruth.com. That's LibyanWarTheTruth, one word, .com, where you can purchase their DVD, Escape from Al-Qaeda, we highly recommend it. They are on the line with us right now, so a very warm welcome to you, James and Joanne. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be on your show again. It's great to be back with you guys. Yeah, excellent. It's great to talk to you again. Uh, we always like to talk to uh, cool people like yourselves who know what's going on uh, and, and aren't afraid to tell it like it is. Um, James and Joanne, I don't know who to talk to about this. I think you're both of you are on the same kind of page. But you, uh, we were talking, or we, we were in contact during the week, and you mentioned that um, that there's something uh, going on in Libya again. Uh, there's stirrings in Libya again since the uh, since the NATO destruction of that country and the murder of Gaddafi, and uh, and basically it's been in more or less chaos since since then. Um, but now with uh, in the past year or two with ISIS on the scene, there's there's murmurings of some kind of ISIS uh, involvement there. Is that the case? Oh, yes. You know, uh, Libya is, has been a failed state since 2011 when uh, Hillary Clinton and her gang of cabal went in there illegally, took over that country, bombed it to oblivion. You know, Jimmy and I were in Libya since 2000, January 2007 doing business, so we know Libya very well. We know the Libyan people very well. But while we were there during the fact-finding commission, we came very close with the tribes of Libya. Libya had a pure democracy in their country. They had 
uh, people's representative would uh, Congress, which all the people were elected, and then they had a second house that was considered uh, that was comprised of leaders of all the tribes in Libya, and that tribal function was basically the the shadow government in Libya, and they could remove politicians that were corrupt if they wanted to. But we became very close with the supreme leader of all the tribes and a lot of tribal leaders, and they uh, appointed us as the spokesperson for the tribes of Libya because. Nobody was speaking for the tribes of Libya. So from that point forward, even after we got back to the United States and even after the Defense Intelligence Agency and the FBI and the CIA and all of them were in our house, they became very impressed with our knowledge because the tribes are all over Libya. They're on the ground and they have a great communication between them and they know everything that's happening in their country all the time. Mm-hmm. So when they when they called this week and told us that Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the head of ISIS, had arrived in Sirte. Libya with an entourage. I are joined by the head of Boko Haram from Nigeria, leaders of Ansar al-Sharia out of Egypt, and a whole bunch of other terrorist leaders. They're meeting in a in a conference hall in the middle of Sirte, and I can't pronounce it. It's it's a long word. It's actually the capital of the word is the the name for the capital of Burkina Faso. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I don't know. It's he pronounced it very easily. I can't. That's let me, the name let, me, of the let me bring that into uh, perspective a little bit. All the we're talking about the leaders of all the terrorist organizations from all over the world were brought into uh, Sirte after they had cleared Sirte of all the satellite dishes, 150 miles around Sirte. Sirte was blown up during the NATO and U.S. invasion. Uh, that was the homeland of Gaddafi, and they really almost leveled the city. It was about 300,000, and um, so people had moved back in there, you know, they moved everybody out or everybody left that was not an ISIS or radical Islamist. It wasn't safe for them there. And uh, so the only people left were radicals, and and ISIS has owned Sirte for probably 12 to 14 months. But in the last three or four weeks, all the satellite dishes, all the cell phone uh, links, all their towers and everything were all removed. So there's absolutely no communication in and out of of uh, Sirte except in the hands of ISIS. Mm. So we heard that several weeks ago and really didn't think too much of it. Then three or four or five days ago, the Mossad and the Turkish intelligence uh, started bringing in, escorting these uh ISIS leaders and these other radical leaders from all over the world into Sirt. So that explained why they had blocked Sirt off, and, and they're having these meetings. And, and we've been told for a long time when Russia started really attacking ISIS in, in Syria and in Iraq, that uh, ISIS was moving in mass into Libya because Libya is a failed state, and they are assisted in, in owning, if you would, that country. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll, I'll give you another thing that we'll we'll have to kind of read between the lines. But we were also told that a, a shipload of sixty brand new Toyota SUVs manufactured in the United States were delivered into Sirt, so that of course the ISIS guys Just can travel around so in style. <laughs> now, a fact about that: that all the the Toyotas made in the United States cannot be exported. Toyota has Toyota say. has trees. Uh, you know, if if it's to be sold outside the United States, it's to be manufactured in Japan. And we know that to be a fact because when we were in Libya years and years ago, they wanted to buy 500 
uh, Toyota trucks and everything because they're very dependable and and they had smaller engines and and they really wanted them for the civilian and the military. We could not get delivery on a single Toyota truck made in the United States because the treaties and everything did not allow it. Right. So how did 60 brand new Toyota SUVs made in San Antonio, Texas, arrive coincidentally about the same time that, the, that these uh, ISIS leaders land in Syria? Right. So, you know, you, you, you know, where's the support coming from? Right, indeed. These Toyota pickups, they're made in San Antonio. Oh, yeah. There's a, a big factory. Toyota has a big factory in the United States in San Antonio. And none of the so this is a Sequoia. These are like a, a Land Rover and smaller pickups and all that stuff. They're made here. They're truck frame. They're real durable. And uh, they're preferred, really, above the, the Japanese units because they've got larger radiators and able to handle more heat, uh, heat and everything like that. So they're perfect for the adverse climate in Libya. Interesting. I'm reminded of there was a news item, I think, a year ago. This plumber from Texas goes, hold on a second. He's looking at a front page news and there's an image of some ISIS guy, jihadi nut job, on the back of a pickup firing a mount, from a mounted cannon. And on the side of this pickup, it's Mark the plumber. Right. Call here, Texas. Yeah. And he's like, that was what? That was my Jeep. That was my car. Yeah, how did that get there if it didn't come directly from Texas? I mean, the guy sold it, right? Afterwards, because he didn't need it or something, and then it ends up in Syria. I mean, that 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 alone almost bears out what you're saying about about these Toyota trucks coming being coming directly sure. from the U.S. And uh, there is obviously a channel for that kind of stuff to go directly from the U.S. to the Middle East. And, if it you and it's not going to happen without U.S. customs being involved, right? No, not at all. If you remember when, when ISIS rolled out of Jordan into Iraq, they had a string of Toyota pickup trucks with, with anti-aircraft weapons and everything mounted on the back, as far as the eye could see. Right. And they were rolling out of Jordan, which was the training center, CIA training center for ISIS, ISIS. in Jordan. They rolled into Iraq. And that was nonstop. Those were all U.S. Toyota pickup trucks. You know, you know what gets me about this whole situation. This is just one small part of uh, one small example of, of of what I'm talking about. Is how it's so screamingly obvious, yeah. and should be to everybody that ISIS is basically a, a kind of proxy force of Western powers of the U.S. and of and of the Israelis and of this. Their start, yeah, right, sure, right. And and I mean, there's so much evidence that's the case, but they still are able to. to Get up there and say, "Yeah, we have to, we have to defeat ISIS." And I mean, dude, you're shipping them trucks, you're shipping them weapons. What are you talking about? It's but no one, I, think oh, it, I think it's the fluoride in the water or something. I don't know what it's <laughs> probably. You know, the guy that's head of ISIS is a Mossad. Uh, he's a, he's one leader of Mossad, and he's of course got a, a Arabic sounding name and everything. But uh, Baghdadi, Baghdadi. Yeah, you know the other the other big leader for ISIS is John McCain. Now he's not seared right now. No, but he could be any day. <laughs> well, he could be. He, yeah. He'll show up there. I'm sure. They're calling those guys his best friends and his buddies. Yeah. Right. So talk to us a little bit about that about about this Baghdadi and his like you mentioned you mentioned that um, you know the, the him and, and the ISIS were kind of trucked into uh, seared in Libya and over the past few weeks. With the help of of Mossad, I mean, you, you get this information from like when your previous shows you mentioned your your you made good uh, you established good relationships with members of the the, the tribal uh, 
people in, 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 in Libya years ago, and, and they're still giving you information about this, and this, and this is where you're getting this from, right? Yes, yes, the, tri- the tribes of Libya. The, the thing that's interesting about, you have to realize about Israel and the Mossad and stuff, is that they're not the real Jews. They're, they're the Karjites. They have co-opted the Jewish religion and taken it over. And they, you, you ever wonder why there's no ISIS attacking Israel ever? Right. Well, that's and why question. are they? Yeah, why are they treating uh, ISIS wounded from Syria right. in Israel? And, and that guy yeah. Baghdad, he Indeed. he is he is Israeli. He was trained there. I mean, it, it's a fairly known, well-known fact that he is working undercover. And they've they've caught uh, Israeli generals in in Iraq, lots of them, or colonels, you know, helping. So this is not, the the Arab people, the Muslim people, whether they're Muslims or Christians, the Arabs all know this over in North Africa and the Middle East. They know that. It's a well-known fact to them that that Israel supports all these terrorist groups and works with the cabal, that they are the leader of cabal. You know, forever, us U.S. citizens couldn't understand why the rest of the world hated us so much because, gosh, we wore white hats. We were in trying to protect the people. You know, the truth is finally coming out. All the heinous activities the United States has been involved in, all the false flag operations, all the overthrow of countries that the U.S. has been involved in, it's really a, a sad awakening for us. And I want to I let your audience uh, remind them that Joy and I were never – Political. political activists at all. We're business people. And the reason we were in Libya, we have a proprietary product that absolutely rejuvenates oil wells and cleans up pipelines and sludge pits and chicken fat. And we had booked more business than anybody could ever imagine in Libya. So we were proactive to help Libya quell their, their civil disobedience, if you would, so that our business could get back on track. Mm-hmm. And so when we went into Libya, uh, as to head the, the fact-finding commission, we didn't really know why we were invited to do it, but we were absolutely proactive because our business was very important to us. We had leveraged 15 years worth of very successful work into uh, opening up a complete uh, new large-scale integrated uh, uh, enzyme plant, moved all our production and marketing and everything into Libya, and consequently lost everything. But uh, uh, during 2011, when Libya was being blown up, we went in there to try to see if we could get the truth out about what really was going on in Libya because we knew none of that was true. And I was in Libya in 2011 from the 1st of January until the 8th of February. The false flag operation started about 10 days after I left. And um, we kept trying to tell the politicians here in the United States how wrong-footed the United States was. Gosh. U.S. was supporting al-Qaeda and Muslim Brotherhood and Ansar al-Sharia, all the bad guys. And really, the news media around the world knew it, but in the United States, no, that never happened. And when we saw John McCain putting his arms around these rebels and saying, these are my heroes, you know, and he did that in Libya. He did it in Syria. He's done it everywhere. That's that's his proxy army. Of course, they're his heroes. And so, you know, it really was disheartening to us. But, you know, we were not political activists. We became truth tellers, if you would, because of what we saw in Libya uh, in 2011 and what has happened to us since then. And our pipeline into the tribes of Libya, when we were there, Everybody was trying to do business, sell them arms, do some whatever. And we told the tribes, as long as there's blood running in the streets, we won't do any business. We're just going to try to help Libya 
get back to the place it was. And we elected to put the tribal uh, unit in the in the limelight because the government of Libya was already a burned card. There had been so much negative press put out about Libya that we knew there was nothing we could do to clean that up. There wasn't enough Babel in the world to shine them up. But the tribes, that was an unknown commodity. So Joanne and I elected to go to all the tribal functions we could, and we did. And there were 800 and something tribes in Libya. 98% of everybody in Libya is members of tribes. And they were holding these rallies all the time. So we would go to those rallies. And here's two little white faces. They'd always put us in the front row. And, of course, the cameras would pan to us. And so uh, we were showing our support as U.S. citizens, not as government or anything. Were the 80 or 85 to 90% of the Libyans that were against, that there was no revolution in Libya? So the the Libyan people and the tribes appreciated what we were doing for them. And so we continued to try to help them. They would provide us information that, of course, we were frustrated because we couldn't forward it to anybody. Nobody here wanted to hear about it. And uh, that's how we became close to them, and that's how we got to know the tribal leaders. That's how we got to know their structure. You know, it was a it was a concerted effort on our part. But, uh, you know, the, the truth was they appreciated – uh, what we were doing. And in fact, they told Joanne one time, they said, you know, uh, you and your husband have saved the face of the United States for the, for the, uh, Libyan, for the people of Libya. They appreciate the citizens, the U.S. citizens, mm-hmm. even though the government is abhorrible. You know, the irony of Libya is, is what people don't understand. Most people don't. Maybe some of the listeners will remember when we talked about this. Uh, Libya is an 8,000 year old culture. And the irony of the whole thing is that they were the most progressive Muslim country in the world and absolutely hated radical Islamists. Mm -hmm. A radical Islamist in Libya was in prison. There were about 4% of the Libyans that were radical, and most of them were outside. They were in exile or they were in prison. And those are the people that the U.S., Hillary Clinton, all of them, Barack Obama, they joined hands with those people to take over the country. Now, they've turned this country into the headquarters for Islamic radical terrorism. Right. So if that's not irony. I don't know what is. I, I mean, it, it, it's one of the wor- world's worst war crimes ever. Six hundred thousand dead. You know, one hundred twenty-eight mass graves. The country blown up. It's it's just it's unbelievable what they did to that country. And there's still half the Libyans are still living in exile. Right. But like like our tribal leaders told us yesterday, all the tribes have united to bring Libya back to the country that it was. And they are ready to take it back. They know how to take it back. Very, They can do it very easily if they had support of anybody, any country that would step forward to support them. Mm-hmm. Because still, the UN holds their weapons embargo against the Libyan army. They don't allow them to have buy any weapons. They don't. The right. ISIS and all the terrorists there bring in weapons every day, brought in through Turkey, brought in by Qatar. A lot of them U.S. weapons supplied by the U.S. to Turkey to bring into Libya. They come in through uh, Maitiga Airport. They come in through Misrata Port. They come in through Sirk Port. They come in all the time. Every day there's a plane load of terrorists with weapons that lands in Matiga Airport. And, of course, they have plenty of money and they have weapons and training and everything. And and the poor Libyans, uh, you know, they, they are not allowed to have any weapons to defend themselves because the agenda, of course – is to to Libya to be the, the homeland of the terrorists now. Right, well, this, this is crazy, you know. Can I, it's, it's a very uh, um, 
it's very relevant what you're saying uh, in more ways than one. I mean, today, for example, the um, supposedly, I think it's probably over by now, but today, Sunday, uh, there was a meeting of foreign ministers from uh, dozens of, um, of countries, mainly Western countries, uh, in Rome. Um, and they were discussing basically what to do about the potential p- problem of ISIS in Libya. So this is very much happening right now. Uh, they can bomb here. They yeah. can do that. Listen, if anybody right. in Russia is listening, we can give you the latitude and longitude of the building <laughs> where you can get all the ISIS We're leaders we can do in it. one fell swoop. If you're serious. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the question. Are they serious? Yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, the thing with this is that um, – there's a report. Uh, there's several reports in the news today. One story is from Fox News, which isn't very reliable, but it seems to be pretty much saying uh, what what we know to be true. Um, they're talking about. I mean, I'll give you the opening paragraph, which is the opening sentence, which is with ISIS expanding in Libya, getting ever closer to prized oil fields and ramping up its propaganda. There's a sudden flurry of diplomatic activity. Um, you know, what I'm, my, my question here is. With Russia's uh, kind of at this stage, what two months, over two months uh, long bombardment, airstrikes on ISIS in Syria, and, and kind of forcing the West to kind of like put on a show of getting rid of ISIS out of Syria and forcing the Syrian situation to uh, to maybe uh, some kind of a, a diplomatic solution, is the are, are the people controlling the hidden hand behind ISIS? Are they planning to move ISIS? Uh, kind of to Libya and make it the next yes, st- yeah. state staging ground for ISIS yes, attacks. They've, they've been setting that up for some time, and um, as Russia has been successful uh, in bombing ISIS in Syria and in in uh, Iraq, of course Turkey moved in to protect the oil production in Iraq that right. ISIS has been stealing. And uh, selling to Israel at $8 a barrel, and Erdogan's son collects $8 a barrel for transporting it. And Russia's, there was about 8,000, no, 12,000 some odd tr- uh, tank trucks. I've got it backwards. 8,700 tank trucks. Russia's knocked out 1,270 of them. But those tank trucks run, as far as I can see, about a million barrels a day of Iraqi oil is being stolen by ISIS. Uh, sold to Israel at $8 a barrel. Erdogan's son is picking up about $8 a barrel uh, for transporting it. And, uh, of course, uh, when when that was being threatened by Russia, then Turkey moves in a 1,000 tanks and soldiers and everything to protect the oil fields that ISIS is producing. Mm-hmm. That should be – and Turkey was not invited into Iraq. How did they get in there? How was that that allowed? And Turkey says, no, we are in training soldiers. It's well, interesting Iraq, that Iraq well, didn't know about it. Yeah, Iraq <laughs> had nothing to do with that. So what kind of soldiers are they training? Right. I mean, listen to what they say. It's so in your face that it really doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to figure out that the truth is there if you'll just read about it. Well, right. the, the Turks were bullshitting that they, 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 they were in Iraq to train Kurdish, Kurdish forces, they said. And then three days later, there was another report where Turkey said it was now going to bomb Kurdish forces yeah. in, in Iraq. So, like, what are you, who, so who are you really training? I mean, just come clean here. Everybody knows it. I mean, stop bullshitting the entire world in their face. I mean, it's just insulting. Get, how do they get away with shooting down a, a Russian plane that actually never came into their airspace because it was their sovereign airspace. Right. 
And they go into Iraq and act like, well, that's okay. We can do that. Well, what Iraq should say is we're going to now blow you up because you're in our sovereign land. Right. And, of course, the U.S. started bombing again in Syria. But you know who they're bombing? The legitimate Syrian Syrian army. Yeah, exactly. It's ridiculous. One of the the things that – what was I going to say there? Um, One of the things that uh, one of our listeners actually just just wondered about was would it be possible if – for – the uh, the Libyan government to ask the Russian government for help they in the have, same way the Syrian government. They, they have they have the the Libyan government the legitimately elected Libyan government that's in Tobruk on the east side because they can't they had a legitimate election in Libya a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and the Libyan people voted out all the Muslim Brotherhood and mm-hmm. all the Ansar al Sharia that were in the government puppets that were put in there by the U S and NATO they voted them out well as soon as that vote came out. The, the Muslim Brotherhood said we don't recognize the election and started trying to kill and blow up the houses of the people who were legally elected. They killed so their people, wives. They killed their those children. Those people had to leave and go to Tobruk. Mm-hmm. That's where the mm-hmm. government sits, but it's very weak. It can't gain any weapons. It can't, you know. And, Italy, and why, why are they weak? Because the U.S. is supporting the armed radicals in, in Tripoli. Mm-hmm. The U.S. and their ambassador keeps trying to force the duly elected government to join hands with the radicals. That control, a, they control uh, Tripoli with weapons by force. Right. The, the, they play a dirty game. This is exactly what he said. He said, you know, they try to play a dirty game. They, they assign someone like Leon, the, guy, the Spanish guy who's a Zionist, who's also a member of Muslim Brotherhood to, by the U.N. to, to run Libyan affairs. Mm. Then they, that guy failed, so now they've got a German guy who is not helping anybody. He just wants to have the two governments talk. The two government. there are not two governments. There's one government, and there's another one that is posted itself as a government. The U.S. is now trying to put in the leader of the Muslim Brotherhood from the United States as the foreign uh, head of the foreign affairs in Tripoli. Mm. So and, this government in Tripoli is basically just made of the Western, Western-backed kind of uh, radicals, right? And the guys, yeah. They're holding their seats by a uh, weight of their guns. Right. And the guys here. in to- the guys in Tobruk, they're the ones I read about who were forced to uh, set themselves up in a in a ferry. Is that right? Yeah. They were having their meetings basically in a ferry, you know. Yeah. And that, it was see. either that or die. It was either that or die. You know, right. they're going to be killed and blown up, or or run and hide, or and, run and, out. Of and country. Deborah Jones, who's the ambassador for the United States in Libya. She meets constantly with the radicals. She very, very seldom meets with the legitimate government. Mm. And she's been trying to set up a consulate in Misrata, mm-hmm. the head of the snake of all the radical Islamists. and the No, that, and that's the, the head of the snake of the militias. Yeah. There's three different things happening in, in Libya. You've got the militias that were supposedly the old rebels. Most of them are radicals prior Libyan Islamic fighting group prior uh, before 2011. They live in Misrata, and they control Misrata to Tripoli. And you've got Tripoli controlled mostly by the Muslim Brotherhood with weapons, with guns, or with bombs, whatever they have. That's how they control Tripoli. Then you've got Tobruk, which is a legitimate government, but you've still got fighting going on in Benghazi all the time between the militia, between the ISIS groups and the Libyan army, whatever group it's got, and they've got you know, that other general that's there, Khalifa, who's not really a, an appointed. He's a CIA guy. He's a CIA guy. But, I mean, you know, the, the fact is is that, that there is no government, but everybody with their eyes open knows 
that the the militia and Mizrata are nothing but cutthroats. Mm. Uh, they know that Tobruk is is a gangland environment. Yet the United States caters to those areas. No, and, not Tobruk. You meant Tripoli. I mean, Tripoli. Tripoli. Yeah. And and this Deborah Jones has been trying to set up a, a consulate in Mizrata. Hmm. An official residence for the United States. Another thing you have to understand is that the Libyan passport office was controlled by uh, Ansar al-Sharia and, and al-Qaeda as soon as the war was over and began issuing Libyan passports, October, hundreds of thousands of October them. October 2011. And, and now you have in Libya lots and lots of people, lots of mercenaries, I should say, who are not Libyans. Okay. So. The, right. the real Libyans, the real tribal people, the real people of Libya, a lot of them are gone right. outside in exile. Uh, just on the on the Russian thing that I mentioned, uh, I was reading today that according to Lavrov, the Russian uh, foreign minister, he said that uh, they're very concerned about what's happening in Libya uh, with ISIS, and uh, they would like to you know stop ISIS get, or anyone like that getting a, a, a foothold there. But he said that they haven't been asked by the Libyan government, and that's understandable because the, the way the West is pushing it, there, are, there is no Libyan government, right? They're, keep, they're promoting the rebels, the radicals. Yeah, I know for a fact that's not true. The, the Libya, the, the Tobruk government, the prime minister there, has asked, it's been in the news the last three days, he has requested Russia to come and help them. It's in the news. So what, what uh, I don't know, there are some meetings, I think, going on. I don't know if anything's been publicized yet. But even Putin said before that he will chase ISIS into Libya. He mm -hmm. said that. Yeah. And the Libyans are more than welcome, you yeah. know, welcoming to him. They're welcome. They put a base in our country. We're happy. Put put one there, which mm -hmm. would end Africom. Here's something that that would that be so great. Everybody needs mm -hmm. yeah. to Russia has taken the legal steps to be wherever they are. Yeah. They they asked uh, uh, Syria. Syria invited them in. They went to the UN. They got UN approval. So UN has approved Russia's attack on the terrorist ISIS and their associates in Syria. U.S. never did that. U.S. is not invited. They're not legally in Syria, nor is anybody else, just Russia. In Iraq, the U.S. has, had, has, been, has been blackmailing uh, Iraq since they okay. blew up that country, and they've been mm -hmm. putting in their own mercenaries and raping that country and, and not allowing them to have any kind of sovereignty at all. So uh, Iraq has now asked that Russia come in and attack ISIS for them, mm -hmm. and they canceled their, their agreement with the United States and are inviting Russia. And you can read today the liars from Washington, D.C. are saying, oh, they have an excellent relationship with Iraq. Now, we know that's not true because I guess it's been almost a year ago. If you remember, there was a great big uh, fight in the Mosul area, and the Russian army – was said by the media to have abandoned all their weapons no, and Iraqi left. Army. I'm in Iraqi army. Yeah. Pardon me. Yeah. I'm having a brain fart today. So <laughs> the Iraqi army uh, was was demanded that they leave all their weapons by the U.S. And one of the tribal leaders of Iraq uh, contacted our Libyan guys, and they gave me his phone number, and I called him, and he says, "We are so angry." He said, "I'm a general in the army here," and he said, "We we were prepared to fight. We wanted to fight," and he said. We were demanded to abandon our weapons and everything, mm. and he said, uh, "He said, and then the news came out and said we were cowards, and that's not true. We're so angry the United States has again stabbed us in the back. 
Right. They were commanded to leave their weapons, so, which were then taken by know, ISIS. That was an easy way to transfer a whole bunch of weapons and, and ammunition right. and everything to ISIS. Right, exactly. Plus, there have been, been drops, airdrops of weapons and everything that uh, somehow or another, logistics got screwed up, and they're being dropped in the hands of ISIS rather than Iraqi army or anything else. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the lies that are being told cannot be swallowed. Yeah. It's just too big, too big a ball of, of dog poo for anybody to get down. And so, uh, are you guys? Tragedy. Yeah, I mean, um, I'll just read you something else from this article. Uh, there's a quote here. It's, well, it's, it's a paragraph that says, "A former Western military commander with vast experience in Libya wonders how any of the independent bureaucrats who make up these governments, the two governments in, that they say are in, in Libya, will manage to control the tribes and the militias that he says are the real power in Libya right now." Well, uh, that's because that they're the everybody in Libya. Legitimate Libyans are tribal members, right? And they are the real power. They're the most they're yeah, the, the most the Libyans. Have, yeah, all tribes now. I just asked this question yesterday. All the tribes have joined together to take their country back. They have no disagreements between them. Right. And okay. they, like he said, we could do it very quickly if we had any support from anywhere. And why would some country like, for example, Italy, not support? Libya and getting rid of these radicals that are right across the Mediterranean from them could lob a missile onto them anytime. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. what kind of blackmail, what kind of power does the cabal or the uh, bankers or banksters or, or the Rothschilds or the U.S. or anybody have over these countries that that they don't allow them to, to do what's pure common sense, you know? When we were in Libya during the war, we sat with the the uh, prime minister from South Africa. His name was H.E. Dangor. He's a plenipotentiary uh, ambassador to South Africa. And we were asking him why. Why would South Africa join NATO against Libya? Because Libya and South Africa were good friends. And Gaddafi was very good friends with South Africa. Mm-hmm. He said, we didn't want to. But he said, your secretary of state showed up in our country and told us, Hillary Clinton, and told us in no uncertain terms that if we didn't join her battle against Libya, that we might find rebels in our backyard. He said it was like this woman had a closet full of them. I said, that's her proxy army. She does. I said yeah. she had, like she had a closet of them that she could drop down any place she wanted to. Interesting. Mm. And we've suspected that that's the stick they hold over a lot oh, yeah. of people. Erdogan yeah. of Turkey included. We, we even think they hold the stick over Erdogan of Turkey and the Saudis. As much as they are willingly involved in this situation – their hands are also bound because at any right. moment these guys can start coming over the border into their country. Mm-hmm. Oh we, yeah, we know for a fact that's true because we're it very very Kuwait. close with uh, some folks in Kuwait. One of our dearest friends, thirty year long friend, is about fourth echelon royal family there. And um, when we were asking them, and that's a long story about how we had them try to help Libya with some uh, donation of some life saving equipment, and uh, so when they made a donation of $50 million to buy the Jaws of Life and other equipment to help Libyan people, the United Secretary of State of the United States, Hillary Clinton, told them, well, make that donation to Qatar because they're handling all the, all the, funds. the funds and everything. And they said, since you're so interested in Libya, you also need to join our efforts in uh, getting rid of Gaddafi and that government and everything. And, and Kuwait said, well, we're not really interested in doing that. And they said, oh, yeah, you need to do that because – you might have rebels in your own backyard. Mm-hmm. So we know that that's exactly what she says because we got it from two completely separate sources. This is a woman. They're totally valid. This is a woman who lost six billion dollars. 
in the in the in the State Department. It's missing. Right. Right. Yeah. There's another uh, uh, comment from in this article. It says that um, talking about you know what might happen to Libya. It says money is a pivotal part of the story. It's in very short supply in the country, but in abundance abroad. Whoever, well, unlo- whoever unlocks Libya's deadlock will have access to frozen billions, if not trillions, of Gaddafi cash. Okay. It, well, first of all, it wasn't Gaddafi cash. There right. was was there was a hundred and fifty billion uh, in euros in euro clear. There was $141 billion in the Federal Reserve, and these were in cash and cash equivalents. That was part of the requirement to loot, remove the sanctions from Libya because there was not a Rothschild Bank in Libya right. uh, prior to 2011. The week the revolution started, immediately the, the rebels had a central bank, a Rothschild Central Council. Bank. Yeah. Funded with a billion like dollars. Like the Free Syrian Army. They give now them these then. names. That money is missing. All that money that was in the Federal Reserve and Euroclear is missing. The 179 tons of gold, the 2,000 tons of silver, right. uh, 120 tons of platinum, and all the other rare earths and heavy earths and everything that were in Libya in the central bank have all disappeared. So right. for the Zionists, it was a perfect deal because they could finance the blow-up of Libya with Libya's money. And, right. of course, they had the money in their banks. They controlled it. So who's going to get the money bank? The Libyan people aren't. Right. It's really kind of galling to me. Just I, I read that paragraph because, I mean, what I, from what I remember, pre-2011, pre, pre Libya was a very rich country. It was the richest country, more or less, in Africa. It had a lot of uh, kind of monetary reserves. A lot no of go- it had a lot of gold, no debts, nothing. And then uh, NATO comes and bombs the place, and four years later, the, you know, the Western media can come out with this say, thing saying uh, money is in very short supply in Libya. Well, yeah, put two and two together. Lots of money before NATO bombing, no money afterwards. You know, a rule of thumb we, or something we found to be true, whatever the media says, it's exactly the opposite. Mm-hmm. Exactly the opposite. There's never any truth. Well, you know, the media, the, the media that was, was in Libya during the 2011, while we were there, they were all CIA. They were all three-letter people. And we knew that. We have, we have you know, Terry Mason was there with us from Voltaire Network. And and he, one of the CNN ladies with short blonde hair, she was on the TV all the time. She had a big knife and a black, black jacket. She got him off to the side and told him she'd cut out his heart and eat it if she got him alone. Oh, my gosh. Was that, now, a, was he, that, a, was that a proposition or – yeah, I don't know. He was trapped in the Rixus Hotel during that time that they embar- they they trapped all those people in it when at the very end when they blew up Tripoli. So but we, you know, we see where the jihadists get this heart eating mindset. Oh yeah, well it's Blackwater. You know, a lot of it's uh, they say every time you see anybody chopped up with a knife, it's CIA training. And we yeah. were told that in Libya, and you know, people, the horrors that happened in Libya during 2011, people can't even imagine. The the towns they were trying to take over, if the people went out to shop, they came back, they might find their children chopped up and put in their refrigerator. I mean, horrible, horrible atrocities that you can't even imagine. But what I want to say about Libya that most people don't understand is, and we're talking about the money again, is that. When Gaddafi was in charge, and he actually was forced to step down in 2006 by the treaty he signed with Condoleezza Rice, which most people don't even realize, but he he emancipated women in the 70s. Women were free there. He didn't like even headscarves. He didn't like any part of the radical uh, uh, stuff that was put into the uh, Koran by 
the Ayatollah Khomeini. He threw all that out, and for that, the the Ayatollah put a fatwa on him. The Libyan people had a great life. Forty some percent of all the money, or fifty percent of all the oil money, went to them. They got they got stipends, but not only that, they got uh, free uh, um, education. They got free medical, healthcare, and you yeah. could get it in Libya. You they paid for you to go outside. Free yes, free healthcare. They got. Uh, 40, the government gave them $47,000 as a gift the day they got married. They got $5,000 for each, each child. Their first car cost them half of their invo- of the dealer invoice. Their first house, they paid 10% of their salary for 20 years. It was there. Their utilities were paid. If they if they didn't have any money for food, there were warehouses all over the country. You could go up without any ID, and they'd give you 50 uh, kilos of rice and 50 kilos of flour and cheese and money to have an animal slaughtered for you, you know. People there had a real good life. Nobody had any debts. This is the this is the cabal's worst nightmare though. You can't right. have a Muslim country where people are free and they embrace every religion. Right. Every religion was embraced there that had a book. If you had mm-hmm. a book you, you could you were protected there. Mm-hmm. And the Libyan tribes get really upset about people saying, Well uh, there were no uh Christians in Libya because they would have been killed. He said, Well, we're not Saudi Arabia. We protect people that are are of any religion. We protect them. Right. James and Joanne, I just wanted to ask you a question here, maybe going back to provide a little little bit of background, um, because probably a lot of people are aware of during the early 2000s and into 2005, 2006, you know, there was a a kind of an entente or um, an opening up uh, of, of relationship of the relationship between Gaddafi, between uh, Libya and and the West. Uh, I mean, you had Gaddafi going. To, Blair was chummy with him. Uh, Sarkozy was chummy with him. I mean, it, things seemed to be kind of going in a certain direction at that point, where where Libya was going to be accepted back into the fold, and it was all to do with around it was the whole Lockerbie uh, situation, where Libya took responsibility for it, and it was all going in a certain direction, and then. Within a space of a few years, it just went completely in the opposite direction, and the NATO bombing happened. What was going on then? What was the what was going okay. on? Uh, Libya in the in first week of February 2011, the Department of Defense of the United States awarded Gaddafi with the highest honor they could because he was the greatest ally the United States had in the war against terror. Islamic terrorists. Right. That was in February 2011. This one division of the United States government obviously didn't know the agenda. Mm. But um, uh, the Treaty of 2006, Gaddafi signed with Condoleezza Rice. He was required to step down out of power. Prior to that time, and, and this is the, the the thing you'll find in every country that is really being attacked by the U.S., U.N., NATO, cabal. They're going after countries that do not have a Rothschild central bank. Libya didn't have one. But made, making it worse, Libya, like Iraq, didn't like the, the game that the United States played with the, with the petrodollar. Saudis and everybody did it. So Gaddafi had formulated the African bank, and that was a gold-backed currency for all of Africa. And every Arab country had signed up as members and half of Africa. Now, no one would deal with the toilet paper bankers if they could deal in a gold-backed currency, especially with all the natural resources of Africa. So that move in itself was sufficient for the Zionists to want Gaddafi killed and forever quelled that idea of a gold-backed currency. 
Right. And uh, that was the first thing. The second thing was the United States is bound and determined to keep China away from the natural resources of Africa. So, of course, they formed AFRICOM, which is the military control of Africa by the United States. And uh, Libya, South Africa, and six other countries said, no, no, but hell no. So that was sufficient for the United States to want to take Gaddafi out. And then the third reason uh, was that because of Lockerbie and uh, all these things, that was a false uh, uh, indictment, if you would. It was proven that, that Libya had absolutely nothing to do with the Lockerbie plane or anything. But um, so that Libya was not going after the those countries by himself, he went and took read all the treaties that had been broken by all the imperialist countries that had, had taken over Africa. And, of course, all those treaties had been broken. None of the payments that were to have been made were, were made. And so he brought a class action suit with all the African countries, took it to international court. Against France and Germany and all of them. Spain Italy, and Italy. It was a $7 trillion lawsuit, and the attorney said it had legs. So, of course, that made France and Italy and all the other countries that were bankrupt in Europe sign up to get rid of, of Libya also because they could not afford any kind of payment. Uh-huh. So those are really the three reasons why Libya, that little tiny population of six and a half million people, was such a thorn in the side of so many powerful people. Mm-hmm. Also, you have to understand Gaddafi did more first world activity in Africa than any of the G20s put together. He he uh, helped he built them, power plants. He built power, power plants. He gave them natural gas. He helped them develop their agriculture. He dreamed of an Africa that was united like the United States. Um, there's a lot more to Gaddafi. I didn't know him. Jimmy didn't know him. We didn't do business with him. But the people, the, I got to know him through the hearts of the people in, uh, in Libya that I came to know and love very wonderful people. And they loved him. And and in the end, in 2011, he was just their spiritual leader. He was not in control of the army. To say right. he bombed anybody, it was crazy. You know, he was not in control of the army. And he didn't bomb anybody anyway. That's been proven. That was all a false flag. And um, if, if anybody would like to have proof positive that Libya was planned years and years and years in advance, look at our DVD, and there's a long interview from Dennis Kucinich. Where he where he talked about the uh, uh, war Libyan war games were planned years in advance, and the ex- war games were executed in 2010. Takes It takes years to plan those. And 11 ships were going to go in the Mediterranean. They were going to ha- start off with a no-fly zone and take over this oil-rich uh, North African Libyan dictatorship. Only one of those. And the date for that to take place was March 17th. It actually started a month ahead of time. But it was planned way in advance, so this was not any civil uprising. It was it was the well, whole Arab Spring was a false how many, flag operation. How many police stations were bombed? Uh, the day it 18. started, there was a, a well coordinated attack, and this had to be Blackwater, CIA, whatever, because there's no, I guarantee you, there's no none of these mercenaries that they hire and train these radical Islamists. They're lucky if they can tie their shoes. I mean, they can teach them how to shoot a gun, but they're not anybody who could coordinate an attack. Hmm. And what happened? Eighteen police stations. Uh, All cars over were stolen, and the cars were turned into firebombs, and 18 police stations were hit all at the same time within an hour. Mm. And when the stations were hit, then the, the rebels broke in, took all the guns and everything, and they went from there and expanded. And when they attacked the military bases, they had uh, 
bulldozers that had been somehow or another put on a flatbed truck and got in close proximity to the wall of, of the of the military uh, uh, areas, and they had a special uh, prong on the front of the bulldozer, knocked the fence over, had a special hook. They hooked onto the tanks, pulled the tanks out, turned the, the barrels around, they started firing on the military. So they well-coordinated attacks to get, gain access to the heavy armaments that they needed. And these things happened all over Libya over within minutes. So there was never a civil uprising. And then they went and released all of the uh, radicals and all the psychopaths, psychopaths. and everybody in, I opened all the prisons up. Mm. And the people supposedly that were, were killed in Benghazi by Gaddafi snipers, it was proven later that those were actually snipers that were brought in that were from Qatar. From Qatar. That, was, so there, that was pretty much a template that was used then in Syria. Oh, yeah, yes. same thing. Yes, same exactly. thing. Well, and they call it the Libyan model now. Hmm. If I can go back and hear Gaddafi, and I mean, you can hear uh, Obama and Hillary Clinton. They're so proud of it. They said it worked so well. We're now calling that the Libyan model. That date you gave, March 17th, that was the date that a police station was attacked in Syria, and it all kicked off there. Yeah. Well, there you, you see, it was all the the problem with the these evil this cabal this new world order Zionist mess is that they have no problem with killing people they have no problem they have a statement they say well this is acceptable collateral damage you know and I yes. think that we need to turn that around on them and we need to destroy all of them and say well that's our acceptable collateral damage mm. it's um. So, so when with uh, getting back to what we were, we talked about at the beginning, what you kind of revealed was this Baghdadi, this kind of elusive—I don't know who the hell he is—he's this kind of like cut-out figure, just used to give a a, a leadership yeah, image to ISIS, and he, him and a bunch of other so-called ISIS leaders and and kind of crazies are came to Sirta in Libya several weeks ago, and the population of Sirta fled, basically, because they knew what, who was coming. And and they're there now to, what, for some R&R &R or something? And they're going to be there indefinitely. No, they actually just got there this week, just the, few, the oh, last yeah? three days. Yeah, they just arrived uh, yeah. three, two, four nights ago. Weeks before it was being set up, and the tribes were telling us about it. We didn't understand why or how, you know, Libya, I mean, Syria was blown up. It was, it, that country, the, the U.S. used fuel air explosives on that place. That's a poor man's nuclear device, you know. Right. But now then it makes sense because they were cleaning out the entire area so they could move in all these uh, leaders from all over the world and stage out of Sirte. You know, Sirte was the homeland of the Gaddafi tribe. Right. Yeah. So that's another that's another in-your-face by them. The uh -huh. reason we contacted you to give you this information so it can go out all over the world, because you all have a great audience, is because when we've had this kind of information before, we've passed it on to the powers that be in the United States, the next thing that happened is they dismantled the big training center outside of Derna because up jumps the devil, and we knew about it before they even had it organized real well. Right. Mm. So now then we're telling the world, here they are. Here's all these really bad guys. They're over there planning the destruction and, and attacks on your countries all over the world. They're there in Syria. They're, I mean, in Libya, in, in Syria. Syria. And all the innocent people are gone. Yeah. It's a perfect target. Right. It's absolutely a perfect target. They could raise Sirte 
and it would do nothing but get rid of rats and cockroaches. <laughs> well, it's interesting. There was an, uh, an article two weeks ago, beginning December. Uh, this is from the Telegraph, British newspaper. Islamic State is building a, quote, retreat zone in Libya with 3,000 fighters, say UN experts. Uh-huh. Specifically, that ISIL is establishing a new stronghold for recruits unable to reach the Middle East. So it does sound like a kind of a regrouping uh, in Libya in light of Syria no longer being so accessible for them with the Russians there. Yeah, but, you know, way back there, we were told there were 28 uh, training centers all over Libya that were uh, being run by, if not the CIA, Blackwater, et cetera, where all that they were bringing these radicals from mosques all over the world into Libya and being trained to then go back out and do their bidding. So uh, we know the location. It's seared. And that little pearl that you just gave is is a is a truth, but we're giving you better details. We're giving you latitude and longitude of where they are, and not just those three thousand, but top leaders. And it's not just ISIS; it's Boko Haram from mm-hmm. from Nigeria, and it's Ansar al Sharia, it's Muslim Brotherhood, it's Libyan Fighting Group. It's a thousand names, all the same face, and they change their name as often as you change underwear. And yeah. uh, they know that that completely confuses the West. Because, gosh, if it's a new name, it's a new group, you know, and so everybody's continued to be confused according to the don't, mass media. Don't you find it absolutely outrageous that, I mean, and, and to me it's so obvious that Hillary Clinton went into Libya and said, we're, we're going to bring democracy to this country. We're going we're gonna to take away the tyrant. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. What, you know, look what has happened. That was not never their intention. Their word for democracy is destruction, you know. Mm-hmm. Um they, they, you've got complete. I mean, the country has been gone now for four years. But Hillary Clinton gets up and testifies in front of the Senate and says, or the House, wherever she was, says that the reason Libya is in the state is not her fault. It's that Libyan people can't agree. You know, right. this is absolutely the most asinine statement any person could ever make, and it's oh, an out and out lie. A woman's a witch. Oh yeah, yeah but was... but you know, cover herself, cover herself, lie, 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 and people believe it. Mm. It's just it's uh there's more blood on that woman's hands than you can ever imagine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It, we it, need to find a way to get this information to the Kremlin. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I'd like, I'd like to think they're watching satellite well, footage. You know, I mean <laughs> they have plenty of subs, you know, they can launch a bunch of tomahawk or not tomahawk but their cruise missiles at uh Seert. Uh, at Seert and just, you know, cut off the head of the beast there, you know, and, and give Why don't the, they just take that submarine they call the black hole because no one can track it? Right. And they can shoot those missiles off that submarine. They just go over there to the Mediterranean and do it and just go back. Just yeah. <laughs> nothing. Jimmy and Joanne, the Russians say they've probably killed about 8,000 first in Syria. At the same time, just recently, they're saying, you know, there's still a lot of them. They won't, they can't. Actually, no, they did give a figure. They gave a figure of about 60,000 in Syria alone. Now, I went back, and in our earlier show, you gave a number of 100,000 brought into Libya. Somebody didn't like 
Mm. I think we uh, just lost uh, lost uh, Jimmy and Joanne there. Um, we're trying to get them back. Anyway, yeah, it's um, it often happens. Right when we're discussing something pretty key. Yeah, so what I was getting at was the scale of this thing. They give a figure of 100,000 fighters in Libya. We've, we've a good idea, a lot of them the 11, or at least from then till today. Russia's talking 60,000 in Syria now, but I wonder if it's not much higher than that. The numbers of fighters can only appear to be growing. And, and I mean, that telegraph article from earlier this this month, evidence is emerging of ISIL establishing a new stronghold for recruits unable to reach the Middle East. As chaotic as things already are, they are going with the strategy they've gone with up to this point. They're just going to bring in more, more weapons, more people. It's like... How do you get? I can't get my head around that. They're talking a hundred thousand. How big are they going to? Are they going to make this? I mean, yeah, it's mind-boggling. And leaders in the Middle East must know this. They must have some idea of the scale. And you can see how anyone on the fence or unwilling participants. Uh, what choice do they have but to comply? Because if you've got marauding bands of terrorists everywhere, you you just got to think about yeah. Are they? Yeah, I'm still, still trying to get them back here. Um, no, don't know why they're not uh, they're not picking up. But uh, we got to ask them about what they know that ties this al-Baghdadi guy to Western intelligence. They they named Mossad specifically. That's been discussed online, but we don't know of any hard evidence or at least some decent... Are you guys there? We're here now. Drop the call for some reason there. Carry on. You you said the magic word, you know, Kremlin. Yeah. Well, it was, after, it was after that, and it was uh, what was the, what was my question? Um, we need to get this information to Kremlin. Yeah, but there was, there was sometimes you were talking about the number of mercenaries. The, right. the amount of mercenaries brought into Libya was two hundred and fifty thousand. Whoa! Oh yeah, two hundred and fifty. Well, from that figure, I mean, uh, those some of them stayed, and a lot of them went on to Syria. Are we looking at this kind of number in Syria too? Yeah, you're you're right. But see, as they came into Libya, they were then being processed through Libya and onto Syria. And the weapons yeah. were also running from Chris Stevens was in charge of this. Yeah, the and those had all yeah. those those shoulder mounted rockets, those twenty thousand that were delivered into Libya uh, three weeks after the no fly zone had been established. Why did they need twenty thousand shoulder mounted uh, land air rockets? When there was no, as the U.S. Uh, pilot said, the Libya couldn't get a mosquito in the air. 
So why did 20,000, and then the, the governments from all around that area said, you know, there's a real problem because there's weapons coming out of Libya like a sieve. It's dangerous to our governments. This was this was uh, uh, Tunisia, Algeria, Niger, all around Libya. They were saying this is this is a terrible thing. You have to control this. And of course, the U.S. was the one in the lead, and they did not control it. But these twenty thousand rockets, we really believe that's why Chris Stevens was killed because he met with the with the ambassador from Turkey the night he was killed. And uh, the man that was serving him dinner told us uh, what he said. And he was asking, pleading for for uh, Erdogan to get the rockets back, and the U.S. would pay a premium. They just couldn't have them out there. It would give too much exposure, et cetera. And the Turkish ambassador uh, told him to pound sand, that they were, they were not going to even attempt to get those back. And so, uh, you know, shortly thereafter, he disappeared. Dead men tell no tales. And uh, you know those those rockets are out there. They're they're in the hands of the bad guys, and it's not just a couple. You know that you've seen the military industrial complex admit that maybe there's sixty five hundred, maybe there's eight. No, there's twenty thousand. Right. And uh, you know that's a huge amount of accountability that has to be levied on somebody. Mm-hmm. And uh, so these these rebels going into Syria, yes, they were processed through Libya. Constant flow of them, constant Another, flow of arms and everything. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. Here's here's the president of Syria, and he's such a bad guy that he's he's banned GMO foods from his people. Yet, mm-hmm. if you want to believe the media, he's out ready to blow up any of them any time. Well, you know, they things said just the same about Kinsey, you know. And uh, they were all lies. They They absolutely made up all kinds of stuff. It, it's interesting how they can control the manipulations, uh, the, the manipulate the population with these media lies. You know, um, Egypt was the best thing about that happened with Egypt was the people stood up and took their country back, and that has helped that that has helped North Africa quite a bit. But Sisi hasn't done much. I think he's also under the threat of we'll bring in a bunch of more rebels to your country if you he, do anything. He protects the border between Libya and Egypt. And, uh, you know, that's about all he can do because he has so much pressure from the U.S., U.N., and NATO. Mm. And uh, so, you know, the the things that are are, uh, unconscionable for us to realize is that, uh, um, you know, what, what is done every day by our governments has no touch with what the media tells us and what their game plan is. If you hear the, the Congress and senators in the United States, oh, they want to get rid of, of Assad. Oh, we got to get rid of him. You know, why? They've never given an ex. Oh, he's a terrible man. He, you know, the uh, that was another country where all religions flourished. Mm-hmm. And you know, part of Syria is where, where Aramaic is still spoken. That was the language of Christ. And uh, there were some beautiful... Uh, old, old, old historical areas that the Catholic Church in Rome was trying to acquire from Syria. And, uh, you know, would have been the oldest Christian church known, that whole area. And, of course, the Catholic Church was encouraged not to buy there because it would probably be blown up. But, right. uh, you know, th- these kinds of things are, are terrible. And, of course, the, the sad thing is the winner always writes history. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what is history going to write about this time? What's history going to recount that the real 
uh, activities in the United States and these these other allies? What did they do in this time? How many countries? How many people were were killed? It's just you know, it's yeah. real disheartening for us. Absolutely, it's it's not a pretty picture, you know. I mean, it's just it's just this contradiction between you know the political capital that the the West, in particular the U.S., has built up over the past seventy, eighty years of of being, you know, this purveyor of freedom and democracy to the world, you know, and and to see them now doing exactly the opposite, you know, uh, it, it's kind of hard for a lot of people to grasp. And I suppose they back they they they, they, they bet on that, you know, they they built up all this political capital and now they're kind of spending it, you know, because they know yeah. they've got so much belief in people that they spread over over long years. Uh, now they can get away with doing exactly the opposite and have people not really believe it or take have people take a long time to come around to see yeah, what's really happening. Yeah. Well, here's here even the guy that is so and so president of the United States. He's not a U.S. citizen. He wasn't born here. He has a phony uh, ID. He has phony social security number, and all that is forgiven. Right. So you know the media here is is so powerful. They sell whatever story they're paid to sell. Yeah. Do you know, in terms of this, I mean, what what, strike, what impresses me in a kind of not a positive way uh, about this this ISIS and Al Qaeda before them and stuff was is, is you're talking about a lot of people here. You've given pretty some pretty high numbers, and the numbers are clearly very high. But I'm wondering who goes around recruiting these guys and putting them into some kind of a a cohesive uh, fighting unit. I mean, that takes a lot of work. I'll help you with, I'll help you with that. For the last 50 or 60 years, the CIA has been uh, uh, aggressively uh, searching out uh, radical imams, and they install them in these in these mosques via power and money and everything else. And then those guys, their function in life is to to pick out either the low intellect or the psychopaths or whoever within their mm-hmm. congregation and move them, uh, if you would, into the into the junior league and then into the minor league and then into the major leagues. And all those schools and all those training centers and everything are run by the intelligence agencies, the Mossad, mm-hmm. the CIA, the MI6, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And they have these centers where they're cultivating these radicals and moving them up from a very very young age, and so it's it's a an exerted exerted effort to take over that religion, mm. and of course that religion you know you used to be required to pray ninety nine times a day now you only have to pray six times a day but they absolutely control you, so it's not really a religion as much as as a political environment right yeah, and then yeah. they they uh, radicalize these young men mostly. And move them through this process, and when they're out on the other end, you know they're probably producing twenty, thirty thousand a month. And the goal of this was to, with a long view, you said they started this a long time ago. So the long view they took on this was to create this kind of uh, this force, this army of of right wing, really extremist uh, Muslims fighters. Uh, uh, to be able to use them in these Middle Eastern and North African Maghreb countries. No, 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 no. Gold, the gold is not not there. The gold is the United States order. and and uh, Europe and everything because the their goal is to reduce the population of the world by six billion people. They only one half of five hundred million left because that's enough slaves, if you would, to mm-hmm. run everything. So that the eighty five people 
that own 75% of everything in the world are able to live like they want without the threat of, of an uprising. Get to Agenda 21. And right. then you, you, you look at the even the Pope, the new Pope. He's for uh, reducing population. Look at Bill Gates and his wife. They are passing out Deborah They're probably guilty of permanently neutering 500 million young women in the world. Mm. He's, been, he's been brought on charges in India for murder because uh, murder of the unborn. Right. And so, you know, you've got these these New World Order people, and uh, they they want to get rid of everybody. So if you've got a radical Islamist that has been preached and told all his life, you can go kill somebody who's not a, not a Muslim, and you'll go to heaven. So they'll have no problem knocking on my door and killing me because, you know, I'm like a dog. Right, but what, what they seem to be using them for in, the, in, in recent years anyway is to – it seems to me that uh, what they've – what they've effectively done is prevented using these ISIS and Al Qaeda, etc., uh, to go to war against them. Or now they're—I mean, previously they went to war against them in Iraq and Afghanistan, not got uh, U.S. troops into those countries, occupying them. And now they're using this new incarnation of ISIS to uh, to destabilize the countries themselves, you know, uh, by proxy. Uh, and the result of that seems to be. Getting rid of governments like, uh, or, or you know, like Gaddafi's or um, or Assad's, who probably would have pursued a policy of kind of nationalism, you know, of of kicking the West out of the Middle East as much as possible yeah. and using the resources of those countries for the good of the people in those countries. And that obviously is is spells is really bad news for the West, who have uh, lived high in the hog at the expense of uh, the resources of these countries for so long. Oh, you're absolutely right. But you see, you take, you destabilize all those countries you can, and then you take these radicals and you move them in. You know, uh, anybody that doesn't doesn't agree with you, you take them over, and uh, they're moved. How in the world did Syria have this war going on for four or five years? All of a sudden, overnight, there's millions of refugees, and they're being transported by plane and boat and everything else all over the world. What happened to them for the last three or four years? And right. when they get when they come into these countries that have an open door, you know, forget that you've got a country, forget that you've got borders and boundaries and everything else. No, just let everybody in. Let them overrun your country. Let them be radical. Let them be armed. Let them be willing to slit the, your throat. The, the security of your nation is gone. You have none. Mm. So and everybody's so, turned into Libya, which means that any rebel or ISIS group or radical group can come put a training camp there. Kill everybody in the town and just take the town. Mm. Well, in England, go ahead. We haven't seen anything like that yet. However, we can allow that a portion of these refugees are completely unknown. Who knows what they were doing before? I mean, there was a report of uh, a lot of ISIS types in northern Syria fleeing with refugees right as soon as the Russian bombing started. So. Right. We can accept that there'll be a lot of them turning up in the West. Okay, but what we're what we're extremist. saying here, what we're seeing here is there was a boatload of them landed in New Orleans, and four days later, 150 men from that boatload somehow or another got into Mexico City. They were flown out of Mexico City to JFK. They were processed without going through customs or anything. They were given new ID, given. Uh, credit cards worth $4,000 a month and all the housing and everything, 150 of them on the streets of New York 
four days after landing in New Orleans. How did they get from New Orleans to Mexico City to JFK? How, why did they not clear customs? That, and the yeah. other thing is that all these of, of all these people are coming in here, they found thousands of them that have phony passports issued by Turkey claiming that they're that they're Syrians. Mm-hmm. And same thing happened in Libya. You know, they took yeah, over the passport office and, and any any rebel, any radical that wanted one could go to Libya and get a passport, Libyan passport. You have yeah. to look at the terminology they use, you know, they use rebels. Because rebel is a is a so sort of a good term, you know. Somebody's mm. going against some kind of tyrannical government mm. for helping people. Now they're using refugees, which is it, both those terms equal mercenaries. Both of them. But you're not suggesting that they're all mercenaries, though, right? No, no, no. I think I think a huge percentage of them are. Here we have seventy percent young bearded men in the refugee camp, uh, groups coming in. Seventy percent. Mm. That's a huge percentage of just young men from their from eighteen to thirty, you know. Very, very, very few women and children. Yeah, we got almost no women and children coming in. So what do you, what do what do you guys think is happening now in Syria with the with Baghdadi and and this ISIS these ISIS crazies coming into coming back to Libya to their to the their origins in a certain sense from Syria? Uh, I, I think, mean, what's what's the I plan? Think, I think they'll be staging out of Libya because you know there's there's no local government, if you would, to contain them. No, right. no military that has that has enough weapons to contain the them. The people people don't have any weapons there. There are very very few Libyans still there, and the ones that are there are have been contained, if you would, and controlled. And so there's two million Libyans that live outside of Libya. There's maybe three million in Libya. A million of those are homeless. The other two million are living in absolute. Fear. The dangerous part is if ISIS, what their dream is, and I'm sure what Obama's dream is, and all these radical Islamist dream is that they own Libya becomes ISIS, not Libya anymore. It's now the country of ISIS. They own the oil, they own everything, and there's no Libyan people anymore. That's their dream, I'm sure. Um, they would stage out of there. They would uh, demand, you know, seats at the UN. They would demand everything. They would they would become uh, like. Uh, was it Obama that gave um, Morsi eight billion dollars to buy part of the Sinai to give to the Muslim Brotherhood so they'd have a country? Mm-hmm. They're trying to make these legitimate Islamic radical uh, countries or whatever. They want them. They want them to have voices in the world. They want them to take over. They're looking for a caliphate. In the mm-hmm. end, they want to take over the entire world. But. They're it's being used. They're being used. They're being used by the cabal because the cabal is only going to let them go so far till they get where they want. Then they'll take it back from them. I mean, it's it's foolish to believe they'd ever get ahead of the cabal. You yeah. know. Unfortunately, that seems to be lost or forgotten by a lot of people in the current climate, because people are reacting knee jerk all over the place and casting Smoke all Muslims, all Muslims. Remember, two billion people we're talking about here. All Muslims yeah. equals all terrorists. And that yep. is creating a toxic situation everywhere. It's not just in the U.S. with Donald Trump and some of the things he said. In Europe, I mean, people are like queuing up. Please make me a Nazi again. I'm ready. I'm ready to yeah. sign up. The, the atmosphere is toxic. Is they've filtered in the poison ones with the good ones. Exactly. And, and how do you get them out? Then this is intentional. They want yeah. this kind of uprising. They want all this un- unstable stuff. I read an interesting article that said that uh, 70% of all the mosques in the United States had been radicalized and were affiliates of the Muslim Brotherhood. 
Now, we can believe that because when we were passing all of our intelligence to the, the U.S. intelligence agencies, we were told by, by the interrogator from the Defense Intelligence Agency that the agenda of the United States was being set by Muslim Brotherhood. This was in 2011. He also said well, that every... 2013 we were talking to him. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Yeah. But since 2011, he also said that all translations from Arabic into English were done by Muslim Brotherhood in the United States. Or the intelligence agencies. So whatever information went in there was filtered through the the uh, filter of Muslim Brotherhood. And so if you if you take that information, look at all the new mosques that are being built in the United States, unimaginable un, un, un amounts. Uh, 3,000 mosques built in Florida in the last two years, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there, there's this expansion, this huge blow-up of, of uh, Muslims. I don't think there's that many Muslims in the United no. States to fill all those mosques. Right. I'm sure there's not. There's six million. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, in Libya, when they took over that country, most people don't know this, they used the mosques to stage out of. They were full of weapons and drugs and alcohol. They were the rape houses of these mercenaries. In fact, in uh, Zlitan, they they raised the mosque there. They 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 bulldozed it because they said it had been desecrated so badly. Um, you know, naked women were were put in there and not given their clothes. There were there were drugs in there passed out to all the all these mercenaries. There were weapons in there. That's what they, they they boiled men to death in the mosques. All the nasty nasty tricks were done in the mosques, and. Uh, you know that's that's a closed environment. Nobody gets inside, but those that are supposed to be in there. So, uh, you know they they use that to their advantage. And and unfortunately, the rogue CIA guys, the Blackwater and all these mercenaries that come from the U.S. That's their modus operandi. That's what they do. The more heinous the crime against the civilian population, the more impact they have. Well, you know, in France, mm. they went mm. in and closed some mosques and found them full of weapons and stuff. Um, that was that's been on the news the last week. Mm-hmm. These, these mosques they closed were full of weapons and other things that are not supposed to be in mosques, you know. Mm. So you know you've got it's a real it's how do you clean the 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 bad out of the good? You know how do you how do you do that? And this is what the tribes tell us. Originally, when this thing happened in uh, when Chris Stevens was killed in Benghazi. The tribes came forward and they wrote out a long offer. We have it. They gave it to us. And they said, please give this to your government. They offered to go in and to clean Libya of all al-Qaeda and all the, all the radicals. They said, if they will just stop supporting them, we will go and clean our country. And then we will join with the tribes, the Arab tribes all over the Middle East and North Africa and even Indonesia and everywhere. And we will clean all these radicals from the world. Country by country. Country by country. The Muslims we know say that these radicals are not even Muslims. They're not Muslims. And they, they will happily take them out, but they've been stopped. They're, they're, they've been embargoed from having any weapons. At one point in time, they asked, we were given where the radical leaders were, step by step, they're on this road, they're here, they're in this house, they're, the weapons are here, they're buried over here. And they asked the guy who was in our house, the agent from the BIA, they said, if you will um, send your snipers in, you, you can pick these guys off right now, all of them. Well, you know, I don't know about that. We have to go through channels. It would take us some months, you know. And they said, okay, well, then just give us the weapons. We'll do it. And the man said back, the the agent that was there was talking to the tribal leader. He said, oh, we never pass weapons to any country, ever. Yeah, right. And I mean, we had to laugh. That's Even he big, laughed. 
The biggest lie ever told. Yeah, I know. Even he laughed. And he said, the the uh, agent said to the guy, he said, well, you know where all these guys are. Why don't you just use your tribes and go take them out? And he said, first of all, we're not armed and we're not militarily trained. He said, second of all, you put them here. You come take them out. No. I'll just forget that. The guy yeah. wouldn't show his face on Skype. He turned around. He said, you can't show my face because he had been in Libya. They would have recognized. You can't him. imagine the intelligence we passed on to him. Well, the you know the the seventeen Muslim Brotherhood leaders that are now in jail and five of them to be that had been sentenced to death were paid cash out of the U.S. Uh, embassy in Cairo uh, in the amounts of eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars down to to four hundred fifty thousand. We have a record of their names where they signed for the money. So the U.S. was paying these guys. Those amounts of money. Now, why is Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama not on trial for treason? If you're paying U.S. dollars to Muslim terrorists out of the embassy in Cairo, how mm. do they get away with this? And we have the document. Jerome Corsi reported on that, and it's been lodged in the in the United States Congress as evidence. But, you know, the problem is you have all these laws broken, but there's no remedy because nobody will do anything. And Bill Bennett wrote a great article, and it's he said, you know, uh, what you have, if someone like Trump gets elected who's not a politician, who has his own money, he says you have their game is over because you can't bribe him and you can't blackmail him. He said, you know, I don't know how they would control him. You know, you have to back into to 1871 when the United States uh, turned over all the assets of the United States to the U.S. corporation. And at that point in time, the Constitution of the United States disappeared. And you've got to believe that that's right because, uh, you know, there's no uh, uh, protection of the people by Congress or the Senate. You know, they do what is best for the corporation, the USA, Inc., but not for the Constitution of the United States. And uh, it's a real sad state of affairs when the Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, whoever in Washington, D.C., does nothing for the benefit of the people in the United States. Indeed. And this country is in a mess. It's over borrowed. It's over loaned. We have no assets. You know, they the uh, uh, they're passing laws here to take away what what few rights we had left. It looks like, you know, nine eleven was a false flag operation. If you just go to building number seven, that cannot be explained away. And with that event, the people of the United States voluntarily gave up all their rights, all their liberties. So was that a very successful? attack on the rights and liberties of the people of the United States? Sure it was. And how was it that Cargill and these other companies uh, sold short two days before that? How was it that the guy that owned the World Trade Center uh, bought new insurance coverage five times the amount he'd had the week before those towers were brought down? How was it that George Soros and all these companies bought uh, uh, sold short stock in airlines all over the world? and made billions and billions of dollars, and they did this just a few days before the attacks on 9-11. So, you know, the evidence is out there if your people want to look it up, but it's, it's disheartening because what do what do, does John Q. Public do? What do we do to protect ourselves, and what do we do to maintain our rights and liberties and our religious freedom and things like that, you know? Well, for example, the information we're giving you right now and your audience is all terrorist leaders, a majority of them, are in this one spot. In Libya, why is not the world standing up 
to take action because these people threaten all of us. Now, before we talked to you, Joanne gave that information to Pete Sessions, who's head of the Rules Committee. He acknowledged that he received it. She gave it to the FBI Anti-Terrorist Task Force. You know, she's passed it upstream to the powers that be in this country. And, uh, you know, that's to protect us because, uh, you know, if anything, here we are barefoot and hungry. We're homeless. We've been destroyed. We've been blacklisted and soft-killed. They've been 100% successful in ruining us. They've planted drugs on us. They've done all kinds of stuff to, to terrorize But, you know, uh, the greater good from our standpoint is telling the truth. And these things like, like why and how could all these leaders – be there. How in the world can we know about it? We're in a little old pissy-ass little place in deep southeast Texas. The town that we're closest to is 280 people. How can we have this information that should be vital to some uh, entity that would you'd think would be trying to, to mitigate the damage that these terrorists can do in their countries? Yet nobody knows about it but us. Gosh, how, is that, how can that be the case? Yeah. Uh... They must know about it, right? They must know about it. I mean, political leaders in any given country in the West are probably clueless, but they see what, they only see what they want to see. Yeah, you know, uh, and that's a big problem. And uh, well, they've, they've unleashed a beast here. I mean, do you think this can run away from them? I mean, no. Well, you've already they, suggested they want it to run away. They want utter chaos yeah. everywhere. Uh, up to a point, but you know, they made the Muslims. Uh, you know, everybody in the world is afraid and and, and uh, ready to attack every Muslim they see. So they've been, they've already started the process of undermining their their junkyard dogs. And so, you know, they're on one hand they're supplying them with everything they need to go in and and ruin all these countries. Uh, they had they they found an ISIS uh, manual or book or something uh, a few weeks back. And uh, in it, and they, they uh, took it from one of the leaders in the, in the interrogation, he said that, that the goal is the United States, that these, these several million uh, uh, refugees are all. Um, I lost him again. Yep, lost him again. Whistled some uh, elevator music there, Neil. I don't know any elevator music. You don't? No. Um, God, that's... We have Stephen, though, from Tampa Bay. Stephen's on the line oh, there. Yeah? yeah, go ahead, Stephen. Yes, yes um, my, my greetings to your guests. Um, they're, they're very uh, decent Americans, and um, yep. I really... Uh, I've listened to their story in the past, and um, for the amount of years that have gone by, um, what amazes me is that their their story hasn't been translated into kind of, some kind of movie. We yeah, all, it's absolutely. a very exciting. Yeah, it's a very exciting story, um, and it's and it's backed by documentation. And um, I still kind of get the tone of uh, incredulity from your guests, and um, I have that as well. I mean, the the evidence of all of these machinations and and uh, propping up uh, terrorism for uh, larger geopolitical goals, all of this is just totally evident. And but what we're seeing right now, which I think is remarkable. Is the confluence of the um, the media, the left media, the right media, and the establishment media to all hunker hey. down? Stephen, yeah, go ahead. I think we're back. 
Yeah, Stephen, can I just pause you there for a second? Uh, James and Joanne, we have a caller on the line here, uh, Stephen from uh, Tampa Bay. Just go ahead, Stephen. Yes, uh, yes, I would like to say to, to the Moriarty's, um, thank you for, for your service in keeping, um, being tenacious and getting your story out. And um, I think it's it's remarkable that your story is so compelling, but so few people have actually heard your story. And um, I think that that really bespeaks to our our times when the so-called alternative left media and the um, most a lot of the right media, Breitbart and all of that, and then the establishment media, they all co- they all come together to um, to to forward these false narratives, to keep us divided, and to keep our eyes our eyes as the public off of the the ball so to speak, of the larger machinations of, of supporting terrorism and then pretending that we're fighting it at the same time. It really is remarkable how they've been able to do this and continue to put forward this dominant narrative in the face of just total blatant, just totally uh, blatant and easily easy-to-find uh, facts about these crises. No, you're absolutely correct. And they feed their, uh, you know, their military-industrial complex at the same time. It's a win-win for them. They use both sides. Yes, and um, I, and I don't, I don't expect you to say anything about this, but um, I find it, I find it interesting. Um, I totally have no respect for Democracy Now, uh, because you guys should have been um, featured on Democracy Now plenty of times if they were honest media. But at the, and, and I don't expect you to say anything. But uh, you know, the uh, Alex Jones. Um, they really should have been um, trumpeting your story uh, consistently for years now if they were concerned about you know, true patriotism and where our country is headed. Alex Jones knows us. We've met him. He knows our story. Okay. His family knows it. But you see, Alex Jones, Alex Jones uh, may There's- be releasing the information he's allowed to release. But he knows us. He knows our whole story. Dr. Jerome Corsi has been on his show quite a few times. Dr. Corsi has written 40 articles that With have been inform- published by, information by from us. WorldNet Daily. And uh, yeah. so we've gotten, you know, we've gotten it out. It hadn't had our names on it, but that's okay. And, and, I'm, and I'm not, and, and I don't expect you guys to slam Alex Jones because whatever coverage you get is um, a favor to you and a favor to our nation. But at the same time, um, my dictum is follow the money. I mean, any organization that makes millions upon millions, and um, even if um, – so it's great what they put out, but we also have to look at what they don't, what they don't emphasize in the patterns that, that flow because this is – it's especially insane what has happened to uh, Libya. Um, and, you know, I was, a, uh, I was a fan of Gaddafi. I've been a staunch anti-imperialist. Um, since I was young, and it came naturally, but it really, really opened my eyes when I saw the so-called progressive left wing helping to destroy uh, the government as well. This naked imperialism, and it's been quite disheartening. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna get off the the line, but I, what I think is remarkable about our times is we have the means of individuals to disseminate and create information, but it seems like the forces that would constrain a narrative such as y'all um, to 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 forward the dominant party line, so to speak, 
they're stronger than ever, even though we have the capacity as individuals oh, yeah. to create our own content. It's quite remarkable. Let me say thanks, one thing. That, yeah, look, go ahead. Thanks, Let Amy. me say something that happened to us. is During the time that the CIA and FBI and DIA were coming into our house, uh, Glenn Beck's organization, The Blaze, wanted to do a documentary on us because nobody survives being in Al-Qaeda's hands. And we were in Al-Qaeda's hands for some time, and we were threatened to be, you know, we were sentenced to death, and we got out with three miracles. But what happened was they brought in a CIA lady with them into our home. And they took our information. They were going to do the documentary, and the CIA lady called us back, and she said, I've canceled this project, and if you, you all need to forget about Libya if you ever want to have a life. And at that time, Jimmy said to her, that sounds like a threat. And she said, you you stand down. She raised the voice. She said, you stand down and do exactly what I'm telling you. You won't have a life. That's when we, that's when we went public. We but started see, going public then. Yeah. See, Glenn Beck uh, has been compromised for a long time. For the CIA yeah, to and, be traveling around with him and telling him what he can and can't produce. Yeah, and, and and I would just I would just leave you with this. Um, I've been really paying a lot of attention to this. what's going on in Syria because the contradictions are just so humongous about they keep wanting to, like, destroy the, the, the government of Syria, which is, you know, a non-sectarian government, and then this is going to potentially put us into a world war with Russia. I see this as the end of the line. Their, their total narrative is so compromised, hypocritical, it just doesn't make any sense. So I think that we're at a phase yeah. right now where this just can't, it, can't. The, the dominant narrative just can't maintain. So anyway, hey, thanks, thanks a lot, guys, and, and God bless y'all. Take care. All right, buddy. thanks, Stephen. Bye. I'm going to give you some help on Syria. In in the part of Syria that that Israel annexed when this fighting started, first thing Israel did went in in the Golan Heights region that's contiguous to Syria, and they annexed that, and they started releasing contracts to produce the huge amount. Of oil and gas that was that's in reserves in that area that belongs to Syria. Yeah, it belongs to Syria. Israel took it over, and they've let the contracts. And the contracts are going to be are going to be active at the time that the government of Syria has been wiped out. So that was an economic event for the benefit of Halliburton of one of them. And you know those things. You know you have to. He was right. Follow the money, the pipeline that comes through the, the amount of gas that Syria has. Uh, is is equal to what Qatar has, mm. and Qatar's been promised to sell all the natural gas into Europe. Mm. Well, if they if they can transport it from Syria, then it does not have to go on the water, and that will mean that Russia has control of about sixty percent of all the natural gas going into Europe. Well, the the Zionists cannot allow Russia to have that much financial control over Europe. So that's another, you know, you have to look at all these pieces on the chessboard, mm -hmm. try to figure out what's happening. None of us can really understand what they're doing, but I can promise you it's for their bottom line. All these events have nothing to do with humanity, with uh, life, with uh, saving the innocent people. No, it has to do with how much money and power they can continue to garner. They have their rhetoric. But mm. when you look at Russia and they're wearing the white hats, it's, you know, it's an alternate universe for a lot of people. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, uh, go ahead, Neil. I just want to make a comment based on what our caller Stephen said. He he sounds to me like he had some of the exuberance that I had a few weeks or months ago when Russia stepped into the fray. I thought, yes, this is a line in the sand. They shan't 
they shall not pass any further than this. However, with this intel that Jimmy and Joanne are bringing mm. about them regrouping in Libya, which is yeah. wide open right. and a bigger territory and far less threats right. to Libya from nearby, than right. an ocean and then desert, and they can easily regroup and right. expand anew sure. from there. It's really oh, it's depressing. The Libyan people, the Libyan tribes can take them all out very easily. If mm. they have any support from mm-hmm. any country, they will... They will Clean their country very quickly. Because mm-hmm. if, if anybody supports Libya, I can promise you, we'll be we'll be on your show every week, telling where the, where the bad guys are spending the night and mm-hmm. where they've got the weapons stored and et cetera. Besides because, the fact Libya uh, is full of natural resources, it's full of of uh, in situ oil, all kinds of things that any country that steps up and helps them will be first in line to help them exploit it. Mm-hmm. You know, there will be a lot of benefit to any country that helps them because they will go back to the good country they were, right. stable country that they were. I can't see Russia doing it. Do you know why? They'll be overstretched. Well, they're not big enough to do that. Okay, I think. here's here's Russia. They have China. Here's what them. they said. Yeah, Russia has China working with them. Russia said they're going to do Syria, then Iraq, then Yemen, then Libya. Why not? I hope so. Bring it on. Yeah. Yeah. God bless them. China would love to be in Libya, mm-hmm. helping their oil, putting some of their, you know, billion people to work. And right. they would be welcome there. You know, the tribes would welcome them. Now, the thing people don't realize is about Libya. It's a huge country with very few people. Mm-hmm. And you have people who you have desert people there. You have Taliban people there. You have all kinds of, of people there who know the country like the back of their hand. Who can hide in the, even NATO planes couldn't find these tribes in the desert. They were able to hide thousands of years of, of survival. They know where everything is, where everybody is. When somebody moves, they know it. This is how they can take it out. This is how the Muslims can clean out any radicals within their own groups, too. You know, these are the people that need to do it, these are the people that know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, just fly over them and bomb them. You know, it doesn't help anybody. It helps them if they call in the bombs. We need you to bomb here, and then we're going to take this area. You right. know that kind of thing. I think and that's, that's what you would do. That's something Russia could do. I think just even Absolutely. with just cruise missiles, you know. Yeah, they don't need them for. They, I don't think they need them on the ground even. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, we're going to have to wait and see how things develop. I think there'll be many, uh, many a slip between cup and lip, as they say, uh, oh, yeah. going forward, and and uh, you know, it's a, it's a moving kind of chessboard but uh listen guys we're gonna we're gonna let you go we want to thank you uh again for coming on and, and uh talking to us about it because your experience and your you know your knowledge about the situation is kind of invaluable and i wish you were kind of uh people with with the means to do something uh, on a global scale would would kind of pick up on the kind of stuff you're saying you know but until then i think the best we can do is just keep the keep the the people with uh with their eyes open, informed, and aware of what's going on. Can I can I say one thing more about Libya that they would like me to say? Absolutely. Um, they, they people wonder who's going to lead Libya. You know, if we if we clean out this mess, what's going to happen to the country? Do they have any leaders? They have one leader that they all want, and it's Saif al Islam, the son of of Gaddafi, and uh-huh. he's safe and being protected by the Zentan tribe. And they that's what they would like me to say is that he's the person they would like to step forward to it's help them. You know, if if he steps forward right now, he'll be killed. So. He can't right. do it. 
um, I would like everybody to be able to go to our website and perhaps purchase our DVD. That's how we survive. Right. You know? Yes. Keep us in keep us in your prayers because believe me, we have we have pressures that you can't imagine. Yeah. And uh, we need all the the support we can get. Absolutely. And your website, yeah, is uh, Libya the Truth. Libyan War the Truth. Libyan com. Libyan War the Truth dot com. And uh, we're, we're going to yeah. go ahead. Our DVD is fifteen dollars. If you're outside the United States. Uh, if you would donate an extra $10 for shipping, that would be great. I, on, on our website, you can't do that on the shipping label part. Right. Uh, okay. You can email us. You can email us at aitrust at gmail.com and give us your information, and we'll tell you how to donate to us or pay for One-time shipping fee for one or 100 DVDs, and God bless you all. Keep us in your prayers. We will. And we're going to get this interview uh, kind of up on YouTube and up on, uh, up on our website and stuff, and we'll spread it around and spread the word. Great. Right. It's great to know you guys. Thank you so much. All right, guys. Stay safe. Stay safe too. Okay. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Bye bye. Bye bye. See ya. That was James and Joanne Moriarty. Um, excellent, excellent people. They were in Libya in 2011. Well, they were there in 20, 2007 on business. They had left, I think, by 2011, but they returned to visit. And because they knew so many people there, they were asked by an NGO, World Something Organization, I'm not sure who it was, to participate in a fact-finding mission. So they were traveling around the country during sporadic and sometimes sustained NATO bombardment. They eventually got out. Um, that's a whole harrowing tale in itself. Do listen to the first show where they explain how they got out. They were, and I think their claim is probably, I, I don't know of any other case where they are actually captive to Al-Qaeda, and especially such high-profile targets. But you've got to remember, these people in Libya, Syria, and elsewhere, when they get a hold of someone they want killed, they have the green light from above to take people out. So anyway, they got out, and yeah, it's... They're yeah. just a credit humanity for not running home scared and being happy to live the American life again. They just said, no, we've got to tell people, and, and that's why they do what they do. So help mm -hmm. them out if you can, and uh, yeah, we'll be in contact with them. Help them out, even if you've got their DVD, if you feel like, you know, got a bit of spare change or something, they're kind of doing good work and stuff, and, uh, you know, uh, we like to support people that that we know are kind of good people and fighting a good fight type of thing, you know. That's the most we can do, you know. Um, so what's going on in the world then? Who cares? Is everybody depressed? That's our Merry Christmas. Hands deal. up on the chat room, who's depressed <laughs> about the state of the world? Um, it's not a lot to be, not a lot to be hopeful about. I mean, uh, the uh, representative of uh, our Lord Jesus Christ <laughs> such as he's known, uh, on earth, uh, Pope Francisco, Francisco El Magnifico, actually cancelled Christmas this year. Oh, good. Well, that, that's well he didn't say it in words. He said it would be a bit of a charade to have Christmas when there's so much war going on. He has a point. So that's as much as cancelling Christmas you can get, you know. But um, then, you know, it depends how you celebrate Christmas or how you celebrate anything. Or what do you... Or you get any celebrating left in you? Well, the state of the world. But, um, yeah. 
uh, you know, I don't know. There's not much more to really say about what's going on. You know, I mean, we've said it so many times before. You know, it's uh, there's ebbs and flows. There's stuff going on in the background. Just in terms of what they were saying, um, um, about what the agenda is, you know, mm. with this whole ISIS business. I mean, it's so clear to everybody now. Even you know your average kind of almost your average Fox news reader has received a bit of information, mm-hmm. a bit of intel into their brains uh, that the U.S. is in some way supporting, might be supporting in some way accidentally bad people, also known as Muslim terrorists, right? Mm-hmm. And anybody who's actually paying attention, I know there's a vast number of people out there who aren't paying attention to anything other than Survivor and the Kardashians or the Kardashians. Uh, but the people who are keeping, actually watching the news and have some kind of an awareness of for world events, they, even they, you know, the diehard kind of Republicans, USA, USA, you know, the West is great. They are even having their faith shaken to a mm-hmm. certain extent, and they're having to fight to push it away. It's getting very, very bad in that respect, you know. Uh, and, and like I described before, it's like the, U, the, the West, the U.S. has, in particular, has built up this political capital political propaganda capital for 70 or 80 years of we spread. We are the exceptional nation that goes around the world spreading uh, freedom and democracy to everybody. And that's what that's underpins everything we do is benevolence and goodness and loveliness mm-hmm. and wonderful bunny rabbits for everybody. And they've programmed, programmed that there into people's minds to such an extent and the propaganda has been so effective over such a long time, over more than one generation, that it's very hard for people to uh, accept that the exact opposite could be true, mm-hmm. which it is, obviously. And that hard data is coming in, and it's conflicting with this uh, belief system that's been built up on people because of this propaganda. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. has can achieve a lot in the sense of uh, this Western cabal can achieve a lot in terms of doing exactly the opposite of what they claim they, be, they stand for and still get away with it because of this store of freedom and democracy capital that they've built up, you know? Yeah. It'll take a long time for people to really accept the fact, okay, so you're really, okay, I really, I can understand now that the U.S. actually is the great Satan or something like that, you know? Well, it's like Joseph Goebbels said about the big lie. Right. You know, the smaller things, any individual piece of data is acceptable. But if you're asking someone to allow that data in, it's almost like they first have to have countenance the idea that, that there's a big lie going on right? in order to read that data correctly. Mm-hmm. And if they haven't been able to do that first, then it's going to create just pure Cognitive chaos. Distance. Pure people, chaos. If people, are going, people are reading it and going... And, I mean, if you, you see the comments on their articles, they're, but the same, the same commenter can say in one situation... Jesus, the U.S. is funding ISIS. But in the next article about us, uh, maybe another tangentially related story concerning Muslims or a particular Muslim person, mm-hmm. we need to bomb all those Muslims. Right. It's cognitive dissonance across the board, basically. Yeah. People appear to be able to uh, hold to yes. mutually exclusive or opposing facts in their mind at the same time. Now, that used to be that said, I think, in a quote by someone, that's a mark of intelligence. Uh, <laughs> But that's only that you consider both as possibilities, not when you're receiving uh, two hard, bits of hard data. You have to pick one. And people sitting there with both and trying to fit both 
mutually exclusive piece of data in their head at the same time is a recipe for, you know, craziness, you know, people going nuts yeah. or just looking away and saying, I don't care anymore or just, you know, flying into kind of belief system, you know, go find Jesus or something or Buddha or Superman or, uh, so, um, but just on the, on the whole geopolitical dynamic that's been going on over the past few years and for, well, for a lot longer than that, but it seems to me that, you know, there is this, there are these geopolitical objectives. Um, Jimmy was talking about pipelines and securing access for our favored client Gulf regimes uh, in the Middle East, securing access for their their gas and oil to uh, to Europe uh, instead of Russia having a controlling stake in it. For example, you know, lining with Syria and Iran. There's mm-hmm. a kind of two camps there, you know, and and that is being pursued. But on top of that, piggybacking on top of that, like a demon on on that geopolitical kind of horse's back, is this other, even just purely pure evil and, and insane agenda to chaos and fear and destabilization and insecurity to the people of the Western world mm. in particular. Jimmy's just right there. For into that the reason, U.S. and into Europe. Into Europe and into the U.S. just to simply... Um, and well, there seems to be a goal behind that as well, which seems to be it's equally insane. But the goal seems to be to create, like you were, you were referring to earlier on, a, a, a version of what happened in Nazi Germany. Again, where in this this uh, on this go round, it's it's Muslims in the place of Jews mm-hmm. or minor or and other minorities. You have basically a, a schism or a fracturing of society between on two kind of fairly major lines, religious lines. Even though, like for example, in somewhere like France, most people are actually not. The majority of the population are not religious at all, including the Muslims. Including the Muslims, most Christians are not religious, but they're they're pushed into that camp of we're, well, we're Christian. Well, I'm not Christian, but I'm not Muslim. Therefore, you know, and yeah. they can divide people along those lines. And why do they want to do that? They just want to divide people for some bizarre nefarious reason. It's almost like there's a, a from a broad perspective, the, the broad goal of this secret cabal or whatever you want to call them who are pushing this agenda is to is to create or to demonize uh, Muslims in in Europe and in the West in general and to cre- try and create conditions where they would be victimized in the same way, in a similar way to Jews under, in Nazi Germany. Um, why do they want to do that? That's the next step because I'm following steps here. They seem to want to do this, they seem to want to do this, but the question is why, why, why? You can understand pipelines and gas and pushing back Russia from a geopolitical power play perspective. We want to maintain power for ourselves, power in itself. Okay, it's not, it's insane, but it's understandable. Mm-hmm. But why would you want to at the same, uh, create this uh, Nazi Germany version 2 with Muslims versus Jews uh, in the West? Uh, why do you want to do that? Because what you hate you hate Semites or something? You hate Semitic people? Is that it? Is it is it that the people who are doing this hate Semitic people? Uh, because uh, Arabs, of course, are Semitic people. But then why are, for example, Israeli military commandos and field hospitals treating thousands of wounded Islamic right. terrorists? Well, they're who doing want to they're, kill them. Right. Well, they're doing that in the Middle East to serve that particular that first agenda of pipeline and securing control and money and power. But there's another agenda being pushed on top of that, which is just the pure the attack on, of course, the attack on, 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 on Arabs and Muslims. Uh, of course, the, in, in, in supporting ISIS, 
the Israelis, for example, supporting ISIS uh, or, or you know having field hospitals where they where they tend to their wounded and stuff. That is part of a process that has killed over the past four years, killed God knows how many tens or hundreds of thousands of Syrians, and before it, uh, a million Iraqis. So while they may be helping the odd one in the process of of Western slash Israeli, long to eliminate. Are you suggesting they're targeting a specific ethnos? Um, Arabs. No, what I'm saying is that somebody seems to have it over and above the agenda of simply having to kill lots of Arabs for a geopolitical agenda, i.e. to secure natural resources. Mm-hmm. There may be another agenda that that serves as well, which is some kind of a war, an ethnic war on Semites, on Arabs. Okay. And they bring that to Western Europe, to France, for example, which is, uh, has the biggest Arab population. Uh, of any European country, and they try to spread it to the US, and they have, you know, douchebags like Trump promoting it. You know what? What? What a what a joke that man is! Jesus Christ! I mean, uh, really, like we said before, you know, people we're anthropologists. You know, let's just look at this. This is, you know, this is a bunch of monkeys. It's not our. They're not our monkeys, and it's not our circus. But unfortunately, we're stuck here having to witness it. Unless you're going to go and garden for the rest of your life and, and ignore everything else, you have to witness it and look at it and remember that it's a circus and they're monkeys and they're not yours. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's a bit disturbing to watch these monkeys jump around and act like you know monkeys on crack. But that's what they are. And Trump is like you know gorilla on crack type thing, you know. And that, and that's what they're doing. He's the head gorilla on crack and he's leading leading the other monkeys and whipping them up. Yeah, it's disturbing to watch it, but remember, it's not—they're not your monkeys, and they're not your—it's not your circus. So, um, speaking of Trump, though, uh, I think it's time for a little. Um, uh, we can develop the Trump angle a little bit more, but I think the best way to do that would be by way of uh, the voice uh, and the mind and the, wit, and the wit of our man in uh, where is he down Louisiana, deep south somewhere. Uh, Aloysius Riley. Who I'm going to try and get him back on here now for a, another state of the universe um, address. So let me just try and uh, get him online here. Hey there, big boy. You've reached the Donald Trump Hair Fetish Hotline, the number one place to squeeze one off while listening to surreptitious recordings of Mr. Trump or brushing his hair. With over 5,000 high-quality sound clips, Trump's been having a bad hair day. A really bad hair day. This call will be billed to Trump Hair 2000 at 295 a minute, minimum five minutes. To hear our saucy selection of Comovers, press one. To get wet and wild with post-shower slickbacks, press two. Uh, no, Aloysius, this is not. It's for the uh, State of the Universe. Oh, hell, hell. I'm on the radio show again. Damn it. Yeah. Well, I'd like to take the time today to talk to you about the people in charge of your country, or as I'd like to call them, the upper crust, the pile of shit pie you know as Western nations. What with the special day of our Lord, the baby Jesus, fast approaching, we should pause and give thanks to the wisdom of God for making sure that the smelliest turds float to the top. To top off our list of political skid marks is none other than Barack Obama, a man so skinny if he 
stuck out his tongue, he looked like a zipper. We all remember the leaked Obama workout video of this jazzercising jerk-off. But what few people seem to keep in mind is that he has been the worst president in the history of the entire world. He has shed on more of the Constitution than all previous presidents combined. He has worked as a flim-flam apologist for every dirty deed good old W ever did. As well as being ugly enough to scare a buzzard off a gut pile, he talks like his speeches were pieced together from the quiet ejaculations of a retard mimicking Cicero. Of course, Obama wouldn't be quite as shit if it wasn't for his wife, Michelle, and her shoulders, which were grafted onto her body after a freak rowing accident. Apparently, they were donated by Lou Ferrigno. If I had a dog as ugly as Michelle Obama, I'd shave his butt and walk him backwards. The next on the list is David Cameron, the British Prime Minister. This pouchy shit brick's only got one over in the water when it comes to foreign policy, if you ask me, being about as windy as a sack full of old parts. With the look of a pedophile and the rhetorical skill of a crippled mime, Cameron has single-handedly made Britain the de facto laughingstock of European politics. Speaking of turds who float to the top, Donald Trump is still alive, though I'm beginning to suspect it might have something to do with the obviously extraterrestrial life form that has taken up residence on his head. If any person could be more uncouth, I defy you to find them. I'd rather receive a time massage complete with happy ending from Diane Feinstein than have to sit through one of his tirades. Never to be outdone in the stupidity department, European President Donald Tusk is such an asshat that if he ever had a good idea, they'd die of loneliness. If the Poles ever wanted to live down their reputation for stupidity, they'd ever vote his birth certificate. Senator John McCain continues to give every American pause to reconsider the ancient practice of stranding the elderly in the woods to starve. The man's brains rattle around like a BB in a boxcar, and I can personally attest to the fact that there's a stump in Louisiana with a higher IQ than this nutbag. Politically speaking, he's about as useful as a steering wheel on a mule. The chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee has personally overseen the complete failure of the American military in the Middle East. Never before have the men and women serving in our great nation's armed services ever been so dishonored. And last, but certainly not least, there's Hillary Clinton, who, when she and Tom rape victims and getting connected rapists off the hook, is trying to cozy up as much as she can to the feminist vote in America. Of course, in reality, no woman since Thatcher has done as much to prove complete gender equality. Turns out that women are equally capable of being criminal warmongers. All pretense to her being just like the rest of us should be thrown out the window faster than the contents of a well-used chamber pot. Hillary Clinton is a backroom-dealing lush who apparently supports Common Core. Some people have wondered why in the hell Bill cheated on her with Monica Lewinsky, the operative theory being the man just has a thing for cankles. But people, being the simple creatures that they are, don't know that beauty is a relative thing. If I had been married to her, I would have been willing to cheat with a rusty meat grinder. Well, my children, that's about it from old Aloysius. But don't you go forgetting the wondrous gifts of that tiny baby Jesus, all snug in his manger. Brings a tear to my eye and makes me want to head out for a bit of churching up. Still, one is left to wonder if all the obsession over the baby Jesus was really just an excuse to think about.
Mount Mary, the world's first MILF. Here's to you, Mrs. Christ. Okay. Thanks, that was very, um, it doesn't come back to me. That was very, uh, to the point. And, um, with another show. On a similar topic. We might have some new ideas by then. If not, 